Reggie asked for good news this morning in our pre-meeting, and I was like, oh, I got good news. I didn't get to share it, but I was going to say, the kids are back in school. Like, woo! <laughs> I know all the kids in the campuses are like, eh. Well, you guys, you, you only missed a couple days, but these guys over here, they was missing like weeks at a time. Like, what's going on? Anyway, um, hopefully we're all back in a regular routine. We uh, missed midweek this past Wednesday because of the snow, um, but that's okay. We'll pick it right, right on back up this upcoming midweek, uh, this upcoming Wednesday night. Um, I did want to say something about the um, hot and holy marriage retreat. Um, the, the title is based off of the book that Sam and Jerry Lang wrote. Sam and Jerry Lang are going to be coming in teaching the marriage retreat. So that's the name of the book that they've written. And so that's why the marriage retreat is titled Hot and Holy. Okay. It wasn't just kind of a random thing meant to, you know, cause people to struggle or anything like that. That's the title of it. Okay. And, and I think it's just, it's, it's interesting because I mean, if you think about it in the wrong context, we can be quite comfortable talking about sex, okay? When it's on the movies, right? When it's in the music, when it's on the television, we're okay with it. As a matter of fact, like, what's wrong with that? Ain't nothing wrong with that. But as soon as we talk about sex in the right context, I don't know, I'm starting to struggle now. Like, come on, like... Sex in the marriage relationship is right. It's good. And it's meant to be celebrated. Okay? It's not something that we need to be, oh, weird and funky about. The stuff on the TV, that's what we need to be weird and funky about. The stuff in the music, that's what we need to be weird and funky about. Are you with me? So, amen. Let's uh, adjust and correct our thoughts in regards to that. I did tone down. If you notice, I toned down the slide. Last week, I had like the flame and the halo and the black background. And you know, Joe Strange suggested, you know, maybe that's a little bit overboard. Just, just bring it down a little bit. So, okay, okay. We'll bring it down. Anyway, turn with me to Acts, if you would, please. Uh, we have started this series in Acts. Um, personally, I'm hoping that we'd all be encouraged and inspired uh, to be used by the Holy Spirit to spread the gospel throughout Hampton Roads and ultimately through the world. Matt did a great job um, kicking it off last week. Um, I know that he said that we'd go through verse by verse, but actually we're not. Um, I, I'd come up with a 56-week sermon series out of Acts and then everybody thought, well, that's kind of long. So I said, all right, well, I'll just... So it's going to be about 32 to 35 weeks, okay? It's still kind of long, but it's not as long as 50-some-odd. So we're going to skip over the second part of Acts chapter 1. You can go back and read that yourself. That's when um, Matthias was appointed to be the 12th apostle. And we're going to jump right into Acts chapter 2 this morning. Now, I know that this story has been told many times, but I'm going to tell the story again. To just to illustrate a point, a girl saw her mom cooking one day. Her mom was making the Christmas ham. And before her mom put the Christmas ham in the oven, she cut off the ends of the ham and she stuck it in the oven. The girl says, Mom, 
Why do you cut off the ends of the ham? The mom says, well, actually, I don't know why I cut off the ends of the ham. It's just because I watched my mom cut off the ends of the ham. Why don't you go ask grandma? So the little girl says, okay. She goes and she asks grandma, grandma, why did you cut off the ends of the ham? Grandma said, well, honestly, I, I don't know why I cut off the ends of the ham. I just saw my mom cut off the ends of the ham. You should go ask your great-grandmother. And so the girl, she gets on the phone because her great-grandmother lived out of state, okay? She gets on the phone and says, great-grandma, why did you cut off the ends of the ham before you put it in the oven? And great-grandma said, well, back in the day, our ovens were so small, you had to cut off the ends of the ham in order to get fit the ham into the oven. And the girl was left thinking, huh, so... Grandma did that, but mom, great, great-grandma did that. And then grandma did it because she saw great-grandma do it, but she didn't need to do it. And mom saw grandma do it, and she didn't need to do it either. So why is she doing it? And the point that I'm trying to make here is that many times we can jump to conclusions and make assumptions without simply asking questions. And thinking deeply about why it is that we're doing what we're doing, or why it is that we're believing what it is that we're believing. And so this morning, I pray that, um, that our thinking will be challenged when it comes to Acts chapter 2. I hope that we'll be able to clear up some confusion about Pentecost as just two points. One will be informational, and the second one will be more inspirational. But... Don't just assume that what I'm saying is right. I challenge you, go back and do your own research. Do your own prayer. Do your own thinking in regards to this issue and see where God leads you. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll begin reading. Our Father in heaven, you are a God of all knowledge and all wisdom and all understanding. Everything that we know comes from you. We don't know anything outside of you. You've revealed truth to us. You've revealed wisdom to us. Father, we pray that you would continue doing that in our lives. And we ask that this morning would be no different, that your word would reveal um, truths to us and help us to understand, in particular, what went on at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Father, let our ears and hearts and minds be open to what your spirit has to say. Let us be inspired to be used by your spirit to preach the world, preach the gospel, I'm sorry, to all nations. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the title of the lesson this morning is The Truth About Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. 
Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. A little bit too much ripple early in the morning. Two points. The first is simply, what is it? What is it? The second point will be, what does this mean? Okay. Uh, This passage uh, begins to describe the birth of the church. It takes place on the day of Pentecost, the first verse says. And so it makes Pentecost the birthday of the church. Now, Jesus had gone to the cross. He had been buried. He had been risen from the dead about 50 days before this took place during the Passover or Easter. And Matt preached on the ascension last week. But just before Jesus had ascended to go into heaven, he had told his disciples to wait for him in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. That's in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so... In Jewish history, after the Jews were exiled, okay, the Jews were exiled in roughly 721 BC, which was about 750 years before this took place, okay, and they were exiled again in 586 BC, so another whatever, 600 some odd years before this took place. When they were exiled, they were spread out, and those people remained in those lands over time. Not all of them came back to Jerusalem. So as those people continue to marry and have children and, and, and continue on with their lives, they, they melded into the cultures and the societies that were there of the day. And this, this group of people that was all spread out now, but were still all Jewish, was known as the diaspora. And we've probably heard that word before, okay? And so three times a year, all of the Jewish men were obligated to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship God and to offer sacrifices at the temple, regardless of where they lived. And so the first um, festival was the Passover. If you remember the um, uh, teaching night that we had five, four, five, six months ago, we taught all about the major high holy days, right? So the first one was the Passover and the fifth festival of unleavened bread. This is when Jesus was crucified. The second one was this one, Pentecost. And when the Jews first began celebrating Pentecost, it was not called Pentecost. It was called Shavuot. That's the Hebrew name. And basically the name comes from the counting of seven weeks from the first feast until Pentecost from one harvest to another harvest. It was seven times seven is 49 plus one makes 50. Okay. And so the Greeks changed the word from Shavuot, the Hebrew name to Pentecost, which means 50. That's where we get the name Pentecost from. So Shavuot or Pentecost normally falls anywhere from mid um, May to early June. Anyway, the third festival is the festival of booths. Now, the Jews from the diaspora, remember all around the place, right? 
the men had to come back to Jerusalem, right? And so that's why verse 5 here in Acts chapter 2 says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They were there, they were home for the feast, for the festival. Some of them would have come during Passover and they would have stayed those 50 days before they went back home again. Others would have come just for the festival itself. Now, in Trinidad, this is really easy to explain because in Trinidad, we have carnival and carnival is an event and an occasion where it's a national event. And everybody from all over the world, all the Trinis, they come back home for carnival and they jump up, they play mass, they do everything. They indulge in revelry really is what it's all about. But then after that, everyone goes back home again. So this is really easy to explain in Trinidad. It's kind of harder to explain here because we don't really have a national um, celebration where people from all over the world come back to the United States. I mean, maybe the closest thing we have is like Mardi Gras, maybe something like that's a Louisiana thing. You know what I mean? That's not like the entire country. Those of you from Louisiana. Anyway. When the promised spirit comes in in verse two, the Bible says that suddenly there's a sound, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then it says that there was a sight in verse three. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each. Like what? What? Something that seemed to be tongues of tongues, tongues of fire. Is that like dragon tongues that came to rest split? And I don't know exactly what this was. I mean, my only thought is that possibly this is like the pillar of fire that Israel was following in the desert. Possibly. okay, don't like bet your life on that. And possibly this was a, a theophany, a manifestation of God representing that, that God, instead of just going before them, um, being distant and apart from them, that God is now residing in them and upon them. Again, it's just my own theory that very well may not be true. Um, but uh, a lot of these, these events, the, the sound and the wind does sound a lot like the giving of the law on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. But anyway, it does say that all of them in verse four were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, in many of your Bibles, in mine, I've got a little letter next to tongues. And then if you look at the bottom of your Bible, you've got all that little italic small print at the bottom in many of your Bibles. What does yours say for your letter next to tongues? Languages. Languages. That's right. The Greek word there is glossa which simply means tongue, okay? Now, when you're in a foreign country, I lived in Germany for a year. There was one time, I've told the story, I was, I was in a subway station and everyone was speaking German, right? And then all of a sudden, I heard this one lone voice of a girl that was speaking English. It was the weirdest thing. I'm just sitting there and then all of a sudden I hear, dah, dah, dah. Like, out of all those German voices, I heard the one English voice. And I went over and I struck up this conversation with the girl. But my point here is that when you're in a foreign country and you hear your own language, it's really easy to pick up and to hear, right? And so what was the miracle that was going on here? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
But it says in verse six, when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And so Galileans who would normally speak Aramaic because that's what they spoke suddenly and miraculously were speaking other languages fluently. You're like, well, how is that possible? I don't know. That's why it's called a miracle. (laughs) How did Jesus walk on water? I don't know. That's why it's a miracle, right? How did Jesus raise from the dead? I don't know. Let me ask, can anyone here speak a different language other than English? Raise your hand if you can speak a language other than English. Okay. So I know that we've got the Spanish speakers, right? We've got the Spanish speakers. Okay. So one Spanish-speaking volunteer... Um, stand up and just say something really simple like, hi, my name is such and such. Just something really simple. A Spanish speaker. Mario, there you go. All right. Awesome. Buenos dias. Mi nombre es Tony. All right. Any other languages besides Spanish? Can anyone speak a language other than Spanish? Yes. Ryan, right? Come on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Stand up. Mahaba Anamismi Tony? Did I say it right? Sort of? Okay, that was Arabic. Great. Any other languages besides Spanish and Arabic? Yes. French, yes. Francais. French fry, French toast. <laughs> nice and loud so we can hear you. Wow, that sounds really professional. Bonjour. Bonjour, bonjour. Yes. That's fantastic. Great. French is a very nice sounding language, isn't it? Yeah. Amber, yes. Korean. All right, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Like, I don't know. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Any others? Yes, Stefan. Japanese. All right. Wow. He's really good, too. What? Any others? Yes, Mine. Chinese, or she can do Chinese and Turkish. Go ahead. Do both for us. Okay. All right. I like the nihao. That's easy. Nihao. Okay. We've heard some others. Yes. Nikki. Latin. Did you say Latin? Whoa. Okay. Latin. Wait. Say it one more time for us. So way. Me we know it. It's Nikki. Okay, but that's that's awesome. Okay, we've got another one, Johnny. Uh, uh, Russian. Pre- wow, previate. Dobry den. That's like good day, right? Nyaza Tony. Okay. Amen. <clears throat> so, oh, Leslie says, say it in German. Hallo, wie geht's? Ich heiße Tony. 
So imagine me speaking here this morning, right? And the vast majority of us hear English because that's what we speak. But then all of these other people that we just pointed out, all of a sudden, like Stefan hears Japanese and Johnny hears Russian and Amber hears Korean. You did Korean? Yes. And Mario hears Spanish. But I'm just like saying like one thing. You see what I'm saying? And because you're from out of out of town, you're you're in for this big festival. People are speaking all different kinds of languages. But when you hear yours, you think, oh, wait a minute. Somebody's speaking my language. And so that's what drew the crowd. That's what brought them together in this bewilderment saying, how is it that these men are Galileans, yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages? Can I get my next slide, please? So who all was there? Look here in Acts chapter 2, verse 8, or verse 9. It says, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia. And so all of these groups of people were from what we call today the Fertile Crescent, right? Which is like Syria, um, Lebanon, and Iraq, right? This is where Abraham was from, Ur of, Ur of the Chaldeans. Uh, this is where Israel and Judah had been exiled to during the Babylonian and the Assyrian captivity. It's the land between the, the, the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers, okay? The next group says... Um, sorry, um, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia. These groups were from um, what is now today modern Turkey, or back then was Asia Minor. Uh, Egypt and the district of Libya around Cyrene. Now we're heading farther south into northern Africa, right? And then it says from Rome. Rome is way up in the far top um, left corner there. That's the, um, the country that looks like the boot, right? Italy. And people had come from as far away as Rome, who were Jews, to come back to Pentecost for this festival. And then we see Cretans. Crete is an island in the Mediterranean Sea. You'll see it there just, uh, just south of the Aegean Sea in Greece. And so descendants of Esau, I'm sorry, um, um, I'm sorry. Um, Crete could have meant that there were other islands around it too that was referring to these island people. The next group would be Arabs, and this would refer to the descendants of Esau. Um, these guys, if you see down in the bottom right, where it says Arabia. And so from the, from the diaspora, people had spread out all over the place. They had become a part of the culture. They had become a part of the language, and they were now coming home for the Feast of Pentecost. They spoke different languages, and even today, all of these places speak different languages. And so what an incredible opportunity for these people to hear the message of Jesus, who had just risen from the dead about 50 days before, right? They're coming into town. They didn't know what had just happened, right? But what if they all spoke the same language? Or what if they could all hear their language? Would that not be a great opportunity to preach the word? Yes. Even in the Caribbean today, the, the lack of, um, of, of all languages being the same makes it hard to evangelize the Caribbean. We got English, we got Spanish, we got Dutch, and we got, what's the other one? French, yes. Thank you. And because of that, it's very hard to have a Caribbean conference. 
because the, the Haitians can't come because everyone doesn't speak French. You know, the DR doesn't come. Most of them don't come because they don't speak Spanish. You see what I'm saying? It makes it very hard. But if you can miraculously have a conference speaker who can speak and every single language understands you, problem solved, right? And so that's what God did. God provided a way. He enabled a way for them to speak in tongues or languages so that all nations could hear the gospel. That was the point and the purpose of the miracle. And so I go through this lengthy explanation because there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding today about this passage and how it relates to the modern day practice of tongue speaking in some religious groups. The question that's asked is, what is it? What really happened at Pentecost? Now, let me just tell you my own personal story. I myself was totally confused. I grew up atheist. I've told the story before. The only thing that I did know of God was going to visit my grandmother in Indiana, who would take me when, uh, with her to visit her church. And even as a child, I was third grade, fourth grade maybe, um, it seems strange that people um, um, had these very um, incredibly emotional responses um, to what was being preached. In, in that church, people would literally run around, the, like, I mean, like sprint around the church. One time we were, we were in a pew, because back then we had wooden pews, we didn't have chairs like this, right? And, and people had gotten so excited that they knocked over the pew. We were sitting in the pew, and we like fell backwards <laughs> out of the pew. Like eight people fell out of this pew. Like it was... And I'm just saying that even as a child, not knowing anything about God, I thought, is, is this, a, like, really? Is this supposed to be like this? I didn't understand it. And, and then when they did speak in tongues, I noticed that the other people could not understand what the person speaking in tongues was saying. So as I started to believe in God, I moved to Cincinnati. I started going to this big mega church. And again... I didn't know anything, so I just went to where what I knew, which was the same tradition that my grandmother had taken me to. And it was a church that practiced the same things. We were taught that you pray Jesus in your heart and you were saved. You were baptized if you wanted to be. But you had to tarry for the spirit in order to be sealed or to receive the second blessing or to be really saved. I was 22 at this point. And you knew if you had the spirit and were sealed when and if you spoke in tongues. And so everybody wanted to speak in tongues. And we even had a double portion night on Sunday nights to come out and just, I mean, really just kind of cut loose. And hopefully you could get caught up and learn how to speak in tongues, too. Now, our minister, he would always say whenever people would start speaking in tongues, he would say, this is what we read about in Acts chapter 2. He would say that all the time. And I'd go back and I'd read Acts chapter 2 because I was older now and, and, and conclude that I kept asking myself, is, is, is what I'm seeing what this is? Is what I'm seeing is what this is? And I came to the conclusion of, well, it must be because the minister says so. That's what I thought. The minister says so. So it must be true. Now I'm going back to the ham thing, right? Like, don't make assumptions. I never did speak in tongues authentically. I did learn how to mimic it. 
I'm not going to do that, okay? But I, I never learned how to authentically do it. I did learn how to sound like I could. But I ended up meeting a friend who studied the Bible with me, and I learned how to read the Bible. And I kept going back and forth again from my previous experience to this passage. Previous experience to this passage. And it became more and more clear that they were not one and the same, but in fact, they were very different. And so I ended up leaving that church and I was baptized again for the third time. And one night, Leslie and I saw that same. You remember that we saw that same minister in the mall one night. And so I went to him and he remembered me because, believe it or not, I was in an elder in training class. I was 22 years old, single, no children and new to the church. And they were training me to be an elder. Anyway, anyway, he remembered me because of that class. Okay, it was it was it was a big church. He told me he had missed me. And I told him why I had left. And I asked him about Acts chapter two. I asked him on Sundays when people speak in tongues, what language is being spoken? And he told me it was a heavenly language. He said, you can't understand this language. And he said, it's the same thing as in Acts chapter 2. And I told him, but when you read Acts chapter 2, those were actual languages like French, Spanish, German, Russian, Korean, Japanese, Mandarin, whatever it is, right? And he said, no, it's a heavenly language. So I said, well, even if it is a heavenly language, why speak it if no one knows what you're saying? No one knew what was going on. And it seemed like chaos. How is anyone supposed to understand and hear the gospel and respond to the gospel if they don't understand? Anyway, he got upset and he started walking out to his car. Now, again, I was 22. I was young. I was kind of arrogant, too. So I kept following him. I was following him to his car. And I kept asking him, please explain to me. How what was done in the church was the same as Acts chapter two, when clearly they were speaking languages that other people could understand. He got in his car and he drove off. So here's the point that prayerfully clears up the confusion. What happens in churches that practice tongue speaking is not Acts chapter two. Again, it says we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Even though the men speaking were Galileans who spoke Aramaic, they understood their own native languages. So now the question is, well, what is it then? Because it must be something. If it's not Acts chapter 2, then what is it? The answer is, because obviously something is happening, it's not Acts chapter 2, it's called ecstatic utterance, ecstatic utterance, or glossolalia. They both mean the same thing. Glossolalia, glossa again meaning tongue, ecstatic utterance. It's a phenomenon. It is the uttering of unintelligible language-like sounds while in a state of ecstasy. And it's more psychological then it is spiritual. It's mystical. Its roots and its origins go way farther back than Pentecost, okay? You're going to find it in Persian, Egyptian, Greek, and pagan cults. 
and the rituals that accompany them. And it is in use in Christian circles, but it's only been popularized fairly recently. Only since the late 1800s, early 1900s, did people connect glossolalia or ecstatic utterance with Christianity. And it happened through a guy named Charles Parham, P-A-R-H-A-M. He was a preacher in Kansas. He had a Bible school in 1901. He believed that Christians need to have a richer, more fulfilling experience with God. He has a prayer meeting and a woman begins to speak in tongues or glossolalia eyes, if that's if that's the verb. And through that, he was the first one that attached this ecstatic utterance. He's the first one that said that is Acts chapter two. That is speaking in tongues. That was 1901. This is 2018. That's 117 years ago. The church has been around for about 2,000 years now, okay? And so glossolalia or ecstatic utterances is not just confined to Christianity. You'll find it even still today in many non-Christian religions all over the world. It's still practiced in China, Japan, Korea, Malaysia, Indonesia, Siberia, Arabia, Burma, Eskimos do this in the Arctic. You'll find it in Japanese seances. You'll find it in Ethiopian and Indian shaman. You'll find it in Haitian voodoo. It's found extensively in African and South American tribal religions. It's been going on for thousands of years. The connection is fairly recent. Matthew 24, 24 says, For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And so what is it? It's not Acts chapter 2. It's ecstatic utterance. And unfortunately, many of us have overreacted to the excesses of these movements and have minimized the Holy Spirit's incredible power in our lives. And we can't do that. The Holy Spirit does live within us. And he is the driving force of our lives. And just because the Holy Spirit's name or a practice under the guise of the Holy Spirit has been abused does not mean that we should somehow back up or feel awkward or uncomfortable about the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? And so point number two, what does this mean? What does this mean? Again, chapter two, verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? So what does it mean for our lives that the Holy Spirit has come? Three quick things. One, when God guides, he provides. When God guides, he provides. He had given the disciples a charge to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them and to teach them to obey. So how are these seemingly incompetent, fearful men supposed to do that? They couldn't do that. At least they couldn't do that on their own, which is why Jesus tells them, wait, don't go do anything until I give you Power from the Holy Spirit. Stay in Jerusalem. And that's what he says exactly in Acts chapter 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so the Holy Spirit is who energized and moved them to take the gospel all over the known world in their lifetimes. It was not their own strength. It was the Holy Spirit's strength. It's the same for us. We may feel that the task of bringing the gospel to our schools, our neighborhoods, our ships, our jobs, whatever, is too great. And it is. We're not smart enough. We're not spiritual enough. We're not talented enough. Many of us 
don't look good enough for this, okay? Sorry. We can't do this on our own. But when God guides, he provides. And Jesus lives in us in the same way that he lived in them. His Holy Spirit is the same. And when we walk by the Spirit, when we're led by the Spirit, when we live in accordance with the Spirit, then through the Spirit, we will do even greater things than Jesus himself. Jesus said that. Amen? Amen. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So when God guides, he provides. Second thing that this means is that the church is central to God's work. The church is central to God's work. The tongues of fire came to rest on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and together they formed the church. And throughout Acts, we'll see that it's the Holy Spirit who uses his church to make an amazing, miraculous impact on the world. It was the church, all of them together. And God's been using the church ever since. The world would be a very different and a much worse place without the church. How many colleges, orphanages, governmental laws, hospitals, charities have come about because of the church? How many marriages have been saved from divorce because of the church? How many addicts have gotten clean because of the church? How many lives have been transformed for the better because of the church? What other entity has made as much impact on society and the world for good than the church over the last 2,000 years. I can't think of another group, organization, club, fellowship, whatever, that has made as much impact as the church. And that is us. That's us. God working through us to make these changes, to make these differences. He's working through us in the same way that he worked through them in Acts. We're so caught up and influenced by the individualism of American culture. Some of us have a take it or leave it attitude about the church. We live like the church is useful, but it's not necessary. We think that as long as we have a personal relationship with God, then we're good. And the church, well, that's secondary, right? But you can't have the head without the body. If you want Jesus the head then you've got to have his body, which is the church, as well. And so we've got to love one another and be in relationship with one another because the church is central to God's work and we are his vehicle. We are his plan for changing the world. Not us individually, but us together, collectively. Amen? Last thing, third thing, what does this mean? God wants all, all nations Languages, cultures, ethnicities, and skin colors to be a part of his church. Can we get the map again, please? All of these people, 2,000 years ago, they looked different. Remember, they had gone and they had melded in with their cultures and their societies, okay? They had been there for hundreds of years after the exile before they came back for Pentecost. And so not only did they speak different languages, they looked different from each other. Some of them from the farther southern regions had darker skin because it's hotter down there, right? Some of them from the farther northern regions probably had lighter color skin because it's a little bit cooler up there, 
Some of them had lighter colored hair. Some of them had darker colored hair. But when they got to Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, God said, you know what? I want all of them to be a part of my church. Which is why I'm going to have all of them hear the message. Satan has bred seeds of division in our country. And it's easy to view each other and people outside of the church through the lens of race. But that's not the truth of Pentecost. Pentecost was not about me and my people being saved. The ones that look like I look being saved, right? Pentecost was about everybody being saved. It was about how everybody looked. Whether you wore glasses or not, long hair, short, it didn't matter. Everybody was supposed to be getting saved. And so Pentecost is a reversal of the nationalism that started at the Tower of Babel. Pentecost is Babel in reverse. What was Babel about? We're number one. We're number one. We're number one, right? And God smashed it. And through Pentecost, he reunites. He reunites all nations. Colossians 3 says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And so we are a community where all people are drawn together by God's love in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we should be excited to reject and repent of any prejudice that lurks in our hearts towards other people. Especially those who do not share our skin tone. And so the truth about Pentecost, what is it? The empowerment of God's people for God's work through his Holy Spirit. What does it mean for us? Well... God has equipped us and will use us to help all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. If you do not have Jesus this morning, I encourage you to take part in what the Holy Spirit has to offer. God wants to literally, he literally wants to live inside of you, believe it or not. Like, I couldn't even like under like, what, like, like, like two plus two equals nine. How, how does that like, God in me But it's true. God wants to live inside of you. And Pentecost is about that. Amen? Amen. So let's do that. Let's be that way. And let's start right here in Hampton Roads. Amen? Amen.